Hey everybody, we're back for episode 7 and this is going to be a special episode. Um, I'm interviewing my friend Sophia. I've known her for a long, long time. Um, You know, we've gone in and out of talking, just both of our personal lives got busy and, you know, shit happens. But uh, she's a really good person. Um, She's super intelligent. Um, You know, I'm just happy for where she's made it. And, you know, she's one of the ones that are on the front line fighting for us, uh, among others. But she's she's doing a good job. She's overcome a lot. And she's going to tell her story. Uh, I'm sorry this is going to be so long, but, you know, it's hard to get someone to tell a good portion of their life in, you know, an hour. So, you know, like I said, just listen to her. She's a really good person. Um, she's super smart. And, you know, she deserves everything she's got because she's worked for it. Um, Yeah, she got some breaks here and there, but it doesn't matter. Like I said, some people get a little luckier than others, but it doesn't mean they didn't go through something. And uh, like I said, I I was there for a decent part of her life and as far as her schooling and stuff. And and trust me, she earned it. And uh, so, yeah, please... um, Welcome, my good friend, Sophia. Hello. Hi. Like I said, I mainly wanted to get into, at least as far as the beginning goes, is the before I met you. Um, because I sure. know, you know what your eye condition actually is. Um, like I said, um, you just take it away from wherever you want to go. Yeah, I can start with life before the U.S., yeah, sure. Um, the little bit that I can remember. Right. right. <laughs> um, so I lived in Sweden um, and I'd started first grade around six. We, we start school a little bit later in Sweden. Okay. Um, so all kids start when they're six. Around... Um, oh, you mean later in, in age? Mm-hmm, in age, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. Um. And you also stay very local to where you live. Right. So it's very different from the U.S. where like you actually get on a school bus. Um, and if you, ha- you have to travel further, um, I don't remember there being busing service available for anybody. Like you just kind of like walked <laughs> to where you right. needed to go to school. Um, right. And I think some communities is like that here. But I remember, um, yeah, like, you know, getting ready um, by myself and like just you know, walking across the street <laughs> to our school. Um, so it wasn't uh, like a separate location or anything like that. It was very close by. Um, with my schooling experience, um, it wasn't too different. I remember having an aide who was uh-huh. with me. They provided a lot of um, equipment for me to use. Um, when I was younger, they would send me those cassette tapes. <laughs> the green um, one, the green cases? They were not in the green cases. It was in Sweden. They were. I remember they were like yellow on the face okay. of the cassette tapes. Um, they were just like a bunch of stories. And I, I'm not sure if it was for like helping me learn Swedish or if it was because of like a vision issue. Right. You know the um, irony. The irony of that is that those in here in the United States they were green, and uh, when I got the job that I got, we end up grinding them up just the cases <laughs> and throwing the CDs away. But wow. so, yeah, because there, there were so many of them floating out there. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I remember, um, you know, always having to wear sunglasses. Right. Um, the ones I had were, had prescriptions. I had to wear sunglasses, had to wear a hat. Um, obviously, because my eyes are sensitive to light. Um, and then going to school, they had someone to help me. And I also think they had, yes, one of those like CCTVs right. that I used. They also gave me one to use at home. Um, I didn't really understand what they were for as a kid, to be honest. I just thought it was cool that it made things bigger. Right. Changing the colors and <laughs> um, all and that. We yeah. also didn't have to do much reading. So the education system is different in Sweden that you're not really required to do much assessments until I think probably third grade. I didn't stay for that. Um, so it was a lot more like kind of free play, independent work, um, a lot more recess. I remember having um, recess twice a day at um what's your what's your eye condition i'm sorry that was one of the first no no no, that's okay um and i kind of went out of order right no you're good (laughs) you can edit later um so um i have albinism um which means that i don't have pigment in my skin um Mm. but also you know in my eyes so that affects the development of my retina right uh, which makes me sensitive to light and also affects you know like how far i can see okay um I have a pretty significant, I would say, stigmatism. Um, In terms of functionally, definitely, you know, things like reading street signs are difficult. Reading small print is difficult. Um, Again, depends on, like, the lighting condition also. Have your eyes gotten worse or better or stayed the Um, same since moving? I don't really know. Um, because I think, I mean, I think in a way it's gotten worse. <laughs> My scri- right. prescription has kind of changed. Okay. Um, but in some ways, I also think it's gotten better. You know, you know, for any kid, I think as you go older, your vision does, you know, change. Right, right. Um, I feel like it's definitely stabilized more as an adult. Right, um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not really sure. But I think with my condition, the prognosis is pretty stable hopefully <laughs> i'm kind of afraid to find out right now your um, <laughs> your ethnic background is what is chinese right or are you part swedish too or you just you just live there i just lived there um okay. ethnically we are chinese um, did you ever spend any time in china i spent no time in china so i don't really oh. know what it's like there other than that what i read um right. my general sense is that there really isn't any type of social services Right. Um, in Asia, um, right. everything is kind of out of pocket. Um, so Sweden is definitely a great place, I think, to be yeah. if you need any type of assistance. Um, whether or not you have a disability, you know, um, if you um, need to learn the language. I know a lot of immigrants went to like Swedish school. Right. I saw um, a thing. Got, that, yeah. I, got I saw a thing that said that. like where the most happier people are, and they were in the top ten <clears throat> people in Sweden. Yeah, you know they. There, you don't have to worry about the basic things. You don't have to worry about healthcare. You don't have to worry about education. Um, so that's like a broader, <laughs> you know, right, right, uh, right. conversation about social services and what that can bring you. Um, yeah, so I think I definitely became much more aware, um, also obviously growing older, of how uh, my condition um, impacted me after right. I moved to the U.S. Mm-hmm. because there was such a separation. Um, I think from my mom's perspective, you know, it's great that they had a school 
um, at least in Philadelphia, right? I was like, you could go there if you had a vision impairment. Mm -hmm. Um, And her worry about moving to the U.S. was that she would lose those social services for me. Um, I remember her talking about it with my aunt um, and saying that, you know, if they moved here, like, they might not be able to get as much help. You know, Sweden is known for their social services and the welfare programs um and so she was pretty happy to find out that there was a school that I could go to right um but I also never really been around other children um uh, before who had vision issues okay yeah. um uh, prior to attending that school right uh, definitely try not to mention any names today yeah so that made me so much more aware because you know as you know we were in different classes right yeah like you were put um with other children and then there were a, then there was this whole other class that was like so much larger but you were not a part of that class right. you know but in sweden i was going to school with everybody else i was doing the same work as everybody else even though there wasn't that much right um yeah um in a way it was more I guess more like comfortable right because you didn't have to think about like what you can do compared to other children because everyone was kind of in the um, same boat um, yeah I, I was in yeah yeah I think where it came out is when we saw the other kids and how right. different they were and then like how they looked at us and it was like oh right yeah oh, yeah and then, when like, we were in the same and how circle, you would we hear the teachers talk about them right 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 versus yeah, yeah. you like um you just got the impression that the work they did was harder yeah you felt really inferior right yeah. yeah um and that it almost made you feel like you didn't want to leave because like the outside world would be scary right yeah it would, and yeah the work would be harder just life would be harder <laughs> um and so you know i think i came in second grade yep when um, i met you did you know any like any english at all i didn't know any english in sweden they definitely start teaching you english at a pretty young age I think they actually started in third grade so because I came in second grade I didn't have any exposure yet right um so I was definitely really scared so like I mentioned the reason why I brought up like how I got myself to school in Sweden is because in order to go to the school um you know that we went to I had mm. to be on a bus I think for like an hour and a half in Sweden uh, or in the U.S. in the U.S. okay yeah, it's yeah. About, it was about that. It was a really long bus ride. They had to pick up multiple um, students. Right. And I didn't, I guess I didn't know what to expect my first day. Very long bus ride. <laughs> didn't know where I was going. Didn't know any of the people who were taking me away. Uh-huh. Didn't know the language. It was very scary. I mean, it definitely felt like I was like being abandoned. Right. Um, so that, that's more of a cultural shock, I think. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and then being in the school, I remember, I don't know, I just felt like the teachers were a lot meaner. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot more rules about like where you had to stand, you know, mm-hmm. what you had to do at specific times. There was definitely like this more of a routine that was established um, that I wasn't aware of as a new student. You know, I think I entered the grade around April, it was the end of second grade. Um, and so yeah in in Sweden again it's it's very lax you know like you say okay we're going outside like everyone goes outside like there isn't that whole process of like lining up and making sure everyone's quiet Uh Um, there were all these conditions that had to be met and I remember definitely feeling very scared um, Uh and really wanted to get out of there like I felt like I was trapped there 
like very very far away from home also um so there was that um I remember seeing you and like when you first came in you were like super teary and uh, emotional and then before we ever really talked I just was like I was kind of afraid to go to you. You just like sat at the the end and I just looked down at you and you were just like, you can just tell you didn't want to be there. I'm like, ah, she might bite me. I'm just going to leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know what was going on. Um, I was trying to just figure out the situation, I think, because it's just not how school is run in Sweden. Right. Um, it was just always like, I remember it being quiet at times and being really loud at times. And he had to, like, get in line to go to all these places. I think that's what I was most confused about. It's, like, where are we going now? Like, again. Right, <laughs> there were right, times where you had yeah. to line up with your backpack and times, like, without your backpack. Uh-huh. And you had to line up to use the bathroom. Like, that was really weird to me. You know, you never really had to do things as a whole class unit in Sweden. You didn't have hall passes there? No, we didn't have hall passes. Like, you needed to go. You just went. Right. Um... I think lunch was like the only time we really went as a class or for like we had a field trip. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, other than that, like, okay, like it's time to go outside. You know, they open the door and you go and then yeah, research is over. They're like, okay, come back in. And then you go back in. Like you didn't have to stand in line for five minutes for them to like assess whether or not the line was straight enough or quiet enough before they could let you walk. Right. <laughs> Good um, yeah. But before that, I never cared about school. Like, I think I got some C's in third grade. Okay, yeah. I always thought yeah. you were like the, like if you were in a karate movie, you were the guy that like somebody would go up to and we knew, we just thought you were nothing and then, but like, we went to, <laughs> we tried to take a swing at you, you would block our shot and we were like, oh yeah. Like you, you had the smarts but it was like, she's not really putting the effort in yet, but if she really yeah. did, it's like, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I remember there on. being a lot of homework assignments that were especially painful for me because she oh, would yeah. have those spelling words Right. And you would have to put them in sentences. And, like, at, first of all, I didn't know what the word meant. And I didn't even know any, like, sentences in English <laughs> to write a sentence out. And I remember my sister trying to help me. And, like, every day after school would just be incredibly painful. Yeah, that's where, I mean, we, you just, that's yeah. where we learned the difference between the three twos. You know, T-W-O, T-O, and T-O-O. And we had we had to put them in a sentence. And Yeah. Yeah. So, to that extent, I don't think the vision issue really, like, played out as much until... I really say like fourth, fifth grade, you know, having to think about like the implications. And, you know, as you get older, you also think about like what's next, right? right. Um, I think at the time when I first came to the States, it was just about where am I? Right. <laughs> what am I doing here? Um, I remember not talking. And I remember also, you know, you guys, my classmates and teachers, like always wanted me to say something. Uh-huh. I wanted you to um, say curse words. Yeah, uh, it definitely got to the point where I'm just like, no, I just don't feel like talking. You just kind of got into this habit of like, no, I'm not talking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even after I understood what was happening. Yeah, uh, I think for most of third grade, it was kind of like that too. It was almost like because I was able to get away with not talking, I didn't see a reason to change. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you said also... fourth or fifth, was that like, do you mean when you transferred over to the non-VI classes or just uh, before that? Um, that was before, because I was still in the same class with you in the fourth grade. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Robin's class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just, I wasn't really invested in school. I just almost felt like I was just there to pass the time. I remember looking at the clock a lot. Yeah. Just wanting the day to be over. I wanted to go home. Uh-huh. Um, same with third grade. I didn't really care. 
yeah. Um, I don't really remember much in that class. I think there was definitely a point in third grade where they said, oh, you know, you should go into this fourth grade class, you know, Miss Robbins class, because right. um, they said I was good at math. So they were trying to kind of differentiate a little bit. What was the card so game they, you played? No, the card game was not until like sixth grade. Sixth grade, that was Mr. DeRoche, that's right. But what was that yeah, game yeah, called? The, the, math 24. Math 24, right. You were really good at yeah. that, I remember. Yeah. Um, so in fourth, I mean, in third grade, they had me go into our class a couple of days a week. I, uh, you know, I think it only happened a few times. Okay. Um, and I think I, I thought it was fun. Um, it was a little bit more challenging. I was, you know, learning something new. Um, but again, in my class, I don't know. I just kind of felt like, again, just kind of waiting for the day to go by. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoyed fourth grade a lot. I feel like. Yeah, it was a fun that class. was the year. Yeah, that was the year I kind of felt like I was being challenged a little bit more, feeling more comfortable to interact with everybody. Um, it was also the year I think. Yeah, it was also the year I think my sister was graduating from middle school and she had gotten into a really good high school, uh-huh. and so I remember talking um, to Miss Robbins about the high school, um, and I you know, she might have said something to. Um, the effect of like oh yeah you know you could go there too and I know that it was really hard to get into that school so at that point I started thinking about okay if I wanted to go there what did I need to do well she went I think I finally made the connection that okay what I like do now will lead to something else later did she go to the central Mm -hmm. mm-hmm okay I didn't know she went to the same school as you okay yeah so she went to um central I was like, everyone in my family was really happy. Like, everyone was saying it was a really good school. Um, yeah, so, like, thinking about then, like, what I needed to do to go there. And I never really thought that I would get in. It just seemed like, again, like, that narrative that we were told, right? Like, right. the gen ed classes are much harder. And then you think about a highly competitive high school. It's like, oh, this must be so hard to get into. It's, like, impossible. Right. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, <laughs> I think I started caring a little bit more about my grades at that point. Because I know my sister had gotten straight A's. I'm like, okay, I think I want to get straight A's too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I remember before the fourth grade year was over, Miss Robbins left. And that was right. really sad. <laughs> it was like I at really the very end. Her. Yeah, yeah, at the very end, she left. And I remember her also telling me that, no, you know, next year you should go into um, the regular classes. They called it mainstreaming. Okay, yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I actually really enjoyed being in her class so much that even when they wanted me to be in the MG program, I was like, no, I feel like I'm missing out on class time. Right. I remember also going to a few of those MG sessions um, in fourth grade. Oh, okay. And not liking it because I'm like, I was around, again, like the other students from the other classes. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be like with you guys in class. You guys always did something fun. <laughs> right, right. Um, but she had a yeah. really good eye for like scouting potential. Like yeah. she knew she didn't do it with every student and right. she picked certain ones. And again, they didn't all turn out or pan out, right. I should say, but she knew the ones, like I said, she did that with me too. And there was a time where I kind of messed up on the test and I got like a B something. And she was like, you can do a lot better than that. And so then when I actually got the uh, a perfect grade, she gave me like an A plus, 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 plus. And I was like, Oh, she's like, now that's how you do it. I'm like, all right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's funny now that you mentioned that, but I remember when she left, I don't know the class felt different yeah we had that guy. but it was fine you know I think it was like a month or two left of school right. um but then the following year you know in the fall 
when we were starting fifth grade. And then we started working on some math problems. I remember thinking, okay, we did this last year. Like, right, is yeah, this yeah, what yeah. it's going to be forever? We're just yeah. going to keep doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. And although it felt really uncomfortable to think about, okay, you know, shifting to going to another class. I'm like, I knew I didn't want to be in that class. And, you know, I was so bored and also didn't like the teacher. <laughs> I know. Um, I just didn't think she was, you know, very competent. No, she, no, she um, so I remember actually emailing Miss Robbins. I emailed her and said like, okay, I want to go to the other class. And she had already left the school at that point. I don't know what she did. She was a vision um, itinerant. Like she was helping a lot. Other oh, people. she was. Okay. She was still floating around, but she wasn't there all the time. So yeah. A lot of times she, she was in the other the building. Time. Something yeah. happened. There's obviously paperwork. I think maybe my mom had to sign something, right. but I don't think my mom knew what was happening. Um, you know, my mom comes from a culture where they really trust teachers. Okay. And so once they send you to school, they'll, you know, you listen to your, your teachers. They know what's best. They're all great people. <laughs> and right. I have met many great teachers, but you know, they're not all, they're no. not all great people. No. Um, so I remember, um, so going back um, a little bit, mm-hmm. I think my mom only came to one or two report card conferences, like in my whole school and career. Um, she did so more in the beginning, you know, she would actually have to take time off work. And then she would have to get someone in the family to also take time off work because she didn't speak English. Um, I think actually her last report card conference was with Miss Robbins. And Miss Robbins would tell her that um, I was doing well and that I was really smart. And I remember my mom just thinking like, like it was a waste of her time <laughs> because she thought like, you know, if you have to go and meet with the teacher, like something bad happened, oh, right? Yeah, There's something yeah, like yeah. really important to talk about. Right. So I think after that, she's like, yeah, there's no point in going. They're just saying you're doing well. Um, and I would just bring stuff home for her to sign. Um, sometimes if I didn't really, you know, feel like explaining to her what she was signing, I might give it to her like really late. Or like after, you know, she went to bed and I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, here's something for you to sign. And I think this was one of those situations where I was just like, here's a piece of paper you need to sign for school. Right. And she signed it. And then I was um, in uh, the regular fifth grade class. Right, right. That's how that happened. Before before you go on, um, how long did it take before you actually kind of learned the language? Because you You said you didn't know anyone I met yet, but. Yeah, it kind of happened gradually, but I feel like. I pretty much knew what was going on, like, conversationally by beginning of third grade. Okay. I already knew. I mean, it was harder to produce my own sentences, Uh but I generally understood, like, I I knew how to follow directions. Um, But it was still hard to, obviously, read for comprehension um, and those types of things. Uh, But in fourth grade, I would say I definitely had more fluency with speaking. Right. Um, I think reading comprehension has always been a challenge for me. Is that the big difference between the two languages? Um, like, you know, is there, there's something that stands kind of, out? No, not really. I mean, actually, Swedish, Swedish and um, English are both Germanic languages. Okay. So there are a lot of words that were similar. Um, but I think when you're learning a new language, it's always easier with your receptive, right? Listening to other people talk um, and then producing your own speech. Um, right. comes next um, so the conversation is always easy because those are like the most common words that you hear and the phrases and you have context for it I yeah. think when it came to like reading to learn that was hard 
mm-hmm. because there was a lot of vocabulary that I just otherwise didn't have exposure to. Right. Now, do you know any um, Chinese? Yeah, yeah. You know, I okay. spoke Chinese growing up. Okay, yeah. So I, I didn't know which Cantonese, language you spoke. With. Yeah, Both no, I have one. a bunch of languages growing up. Um, we at home, um, primarily Cantonese, but my parents also spoke Vietnamese. Okay. So at times I would basically, I spoke like a mix of two growing right. up. Yeah. Um, and then Swedish I learned when I started going to daycare, which was around like two. People send their kids to daycare pretty young in Sweden. Oh, okay. And that kind of just morphs into kindergarten, first grade. Like first grade, you definitely go um, to a different school, but they sometimes also do kindergarten at the daycare centers. Right, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so there were a lot of languages growing up. Um, I just wanted to finish that because I yeah. just said that you didn't know any English and then we just, we went over it and then it's like, oh, wow, her English is really good I now. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, English isn't like gradual. Um, I remember actually in sixth grade, um, one of the aides in the classroom, the one who worked with you, <laughs> told me that I had an accent, that my oh. English was, I spoke English with an accent. That made me so self-conscious. <laughs> Yeah, you did. You didn't. Yeah. Uh, no, but I would say by fifth grade it was okay. Um, I know it kind of felt like it happened overnight, right? I it also did, like, it really did, honestly. Yeah, it also like I I remember thinking to myself that I wouldn't forget Swedish. You know, people say that you forget the language. Like, how can I forget it? I know it now. Right, right. And and then sometime in fourth grade, I realized I didn't know how to speak Swedish anymore. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't think of the words. Wow. And in third grade, I could still speak it because I remember my friend came to visit me um, December of third grade. Okay. And from, we were still speaking from Sweden? Swedish. From Sweden, yeah. Okay. And we were still speaking Swedish and like we would write to each other. We would write letters <laughs> back oh, in the day wow. yeah. to each other. We were writing Swedish um and and like I said because she would start learning English in third grade then she started writing to me in English and at some point we just started writing in English oh okay yeah I kind of felt sad you know I feel like I still still have those letters that we write to each other did did your did your parents know English before you or were they learning along no you? you know my mom never really picked up English like that I mean when she worked here she moved here she had to work and she worked mostly um you know, at places uh, where people spoke Chinese, right? Because that's where she could get a job. Right, right. Um, so she didn't get a lot of exposure. But I feel like her English is better now than it was when she first came. Oh, okay. Um, she knows enough for her job. Right. So when you transferred over to the VI classes or the non-VI classes, you your English was pretty, was it, well, it was definitely a lot better because I remember talking Yeah, I think I had this, the language skills I needed to survive. <laughs> right. Yeah. What no, you... definitely. I mean, I definitely was having full conversations already by the end of fourth grade, I think. How quick did you uh, realize the difference between the class you were in and to the class you transferred over? Because I noticed it right away. There was a big difference. But, you know, I feel like after like the first report card period, uh-huh. I also realized the work was not as hard as they made it out to be. Yeah, It was it just was... more work. It oh, wasn't yeah. harder. Yeah. Like there were a lot more worksheets. There was more homework. Um, but yeah, I didn't think it was harder. It definitely felt um, like you went to the next grade, whereas when you went from yeah, you went like from you were supposed to, to learn something new, right? Yeah, like when we went to fourth to fifth, it really just felt like we were just it was a continuation repeating of fourth. fourth grade. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> felt like we were just we failed and we just kept going. right. Exactly. Um, it was it it was easier to get lost in the bigger class. 
Right. Right? Like, if you didn't catch something, you know, you had to ask for it. Like, no one would kind of check on you, or I feel like we were in the other class, they would always be checking on you. Like, yeah. you didn't even have to ask for help. They would make sure that you had everything. Uh-huh. Um, but no, in the big class, you had to be more independent, which is kind of nice, I think, in a way, because... I mean, it was also stressful because then you had to figure out like how to get what you need. But I remember going in that class the first day and the teacher said, okay, you're going to sit you next to these girls and they're going to help you. They're nice. Right. I took that pretty literally. <laughs> <laughs> like if I needed something, I just asked one of them. Hey, pencil. And, um, yeah. No, and you know, um, you know, one of those girls I stayed friends with for a very long time. Um, uh-huh. Try not to mention names because I, I don't you know mean. if people want to be talked about. Okay. Um and she had a brother who also had a vision impairment. So I think she was right. very compassionate in that way. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and she always helped me. I feel like, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, she was always the person that I can kind of count on <laughs> when the teacher wasn't available. Right, yeah. But something like, you know, hey, like, you know, can you read, you know, something off the board for me or like someone I could copy from? Like, um, <clears throat> so it was really helpful. For you, so did that make it easier for you? Because you, like I said, you weren't very vocal for a long time, and now yeah. you kind of had to be because you had to be independent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So oh, that was a good transition for you then. Yeah. Made it easier. Um, yeah, I mean, I, when I decided to switch over to that non-VI class, I mean, that's when I decided like I'm either gonna just keep doing the same thing and be comfortable, or I'm going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and actually like do something more with my life (laughs) right Right. I know like I'm only like 10 already thinking about what I'm going to do with my life but it's like I just couldn't let that be it it felt really sad to just almost feel like trapped in doing the same thing and like feeling Mm -hmm. you know like you know good about myself because I knew how to do xyz but it was the same thing over and over Right. Well, and you saw how your sister, the reaction she got. So you right. probably wanted to feel what that felt like. Yeah, too. exactly. No, I also wanted to be, you know, successful. Right. Um, and at that point, yes. that successful is literally just going to high school. No, that, no. Yeah, when you're 10. No, successful like, is literally, yeah, not going to my neighborhood. Because I remember my family, there was really no expectations. And I think that's generally like Asian culture, okay. right? Because like I said, there's no help for someone with disability. Right everything's out of pocket so you kind of feel like okay like you're you're gonna be taken care of yeah there isn't any like um kind of aspirations um so you know I think the conversation I knew the conversation was always you know I would just go to um like a neighborhood high school or something you know because there was a high school right down the street from where I lived it was you know Kensington High (laughs) oh yeah um yeah so um you know my sister went to center like oh you know they knew that the school that we attended didn't have a high school and so I think they were saying oh yeah she could just go there it's close like she could walk to school um I'm not sure if that's really where I wanted to go (laughs) not that I knew much about high schools (laughs) um at that age but yeah yeah, I think there's a plus and minus to the fact of like you get more help when you go there, but the reality is sometimes you get so complacent. And it's like oh, when you don't sure. get the help, you start looking around like, well, where's my help? And it's yes. like, no. And so that, that's kind of what happened to me. They threw me into that class and then yeah, it was just I, like I, think I knew also because they were saying like it was so hard and for me, like it didn't matter. Like if I went there and failed, then I failed. Like I just, I knew I didn't want to be in that class anymore. I just, I don't think I just could stand the teacher for another day. Right. <laughs> um, so... 
and also there's a sense that like you're telling me that I'm going to struggle I'm going to prove you wrong I'm kind of oppositional in that way right yeah, yeah and yeah. so you know it forced me to move out of my comfort zone like I will do what it takes to you know to prove you wrong right um so yeah that year you know I feel like it was kind of uneventful I know you know shortly after you came I was actually happy that like someone else <laughs> joined me yeah you were the only one because Medina was in yeah. sec- sixth grade yeah we yeah. met him there but mm-hmm. yeah there was no other it was just you and yeah then me. You, you were in that class um and uh yeah I mean that was pretty much middle school I want to say um and then you you know sixth grade was a continuation of fifth grade I would say seventh grade changed because our school building like physically changed yeah yeah. um and then you thought a lot more about you know high school at that point because they would tell you you know everything you do this year was what would be submitted to the high schools right yeah um well in seventh and eighth grade they kind of made it a high school aspect because like from sixth grade below we we didn't switch classes really yeah I think we only switched classes in eighth grade though Okay, maybe. I remember Miss yeah. Bloody. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. But even still, it was the closest thing to high school because we literally did go all over the place. We we went to multiple classes yeah, a day. Yeah, you're right. We didn't, oh, we didn't right, have English right. and math in the same you're class. You're right, because math would math. even get switched in seventh grade. Yeah, because Miss John's yeah, was strictly Yeah, because we had Miss John's for a while. Yeah. yeah. And then, you're yeah. right. Yeah. No, that was, that was honestly the closest thing to high school for a long time. The only other time we did that in other classes was like going yeah. to gym or like art class. Yeah. Um, you know what? I would say in sixth grade, there were a lot more incentives to also push for to do more. Like I remember there was um, <laughs> there was a what do you call it? Like a sticker chart. Okay. And he would have his um, his library oh, behind okay. his desk. Remember how we had to yeah, do yeah. the reading logs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, part yeah. of our homework every day. Uh huh. And each time, if we were finished a book, we would have to write a summary on an index card. And then we can put a sticker next to our name. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I remember like that also being, ins- not that I cared about stickers, <laughs> but yeah. I cared about being one of the people with the most stickers. Right. Um, I, cared, I cared more about having a uh, cool background on the laptop that I was given. Oh yeah. You, I was really jealous of your laptop. I was wondering why I never got one. You and Medina had one. Yeah. Miss Robbins, that was her. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I think there was a sense them, also that because I did well academically that I didn't need help. Yeah. Um, but I did. I think I just learned to not depend on teachers. Right. And that was a good thing. Um, Cause there was always this, for some teachers, I think you could kind of tell it was just, it would become a big thing. If right. you stop them in the middle of doing something in front of the whole class and then you would draw, I don't, I don't really like attention on myself. No, like it would yeah. just draw so much attention to me. Right? right. Cause they would stop what they're doing and they would make a big show out of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not that every teacher did that, but I think there were some that did. I think you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The ones who really want to like, you know, announce what's happening and for everyone else to know. Um, and so I didn't like that. So I, I kind of found my own ways around it um, by like asking my friends or peers for help. Um, mm-hmm. And I also think they understood that if they helped me, like I wouldn't mind letting them copying off of me anyways. <laughs> yeah. And I think especially some of the boys who are not as motivated, nope. like were very eager to help me. <laughs> because right. then they could just get the answer from me right um yeah. but in my mind that was just fair trade yeah and you also you uh, also gave us origami paper planes and, and, and i birds. did i forgot about that i think there were some girls who really liked it so then i started charging them for origami oh good i got them before you charged <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
I think you start. You no, started doing that before. Things that though. I would do because I was just generally bored. I remember in sixth grade. Now that I think about it, we got a lot of projects in sixth grade. Yeah, we did. Actually. And I remember just would I would go home one day and just do it all in one day. Um, and then for the next three weeks, um, he used to send out these like weekly plans, mm-hmm. and it was always a continuation from last week. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, sometimes falling asleep on the bus, but then going home and sleeping some more because I just didn't have any work to do. Like everyone else was still finishing up their projects from three weeks ago. Right. I, I remember being on the bus with you and, and, and I, I don't remember all the kids that were on the bus, but they used to like tease us like we were actually a couple. And all we would do, we would just like sit by the window and like, I remember one day we played a game where how many yellow cars do we see? Oh, yeah. No, we had <laughs> a lot of fun games on that bus. I was like, me, yeah. you, you know, um, a few of the other kids. Uh-huh. And then it, it got to the point where we kind of like took over the back of the bus. Do you remember that? Eventually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we I had like the, the four seats. Yeah. Yeah, the bus was fun. No, um, it was good. Yeah. And it was so cultural because like I told you before, we had one girl who was Spanish, you were Chinese, yeah, I'm white, and the other sure. kid was black. And yeah. It was literally like an Olive Garden commercial. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> I didn't know that the Olive Garden commercials were diverse. Sometimes. I more attention. Sometimes. Not all of them. I mean, yeah, but no, yeah, they try to stay away from Italians in general. They just kind of, they like to throw random people in it. You just like, I've never seen them at the Olive Garden, but right. they were like a fun friend, friendly group. Yeah. Um, yeah, so now the high school thing was another interesting thing because then I actually understood that high school became more tangible. I understood right. the criteria more. Um, Before you go to high school, what what was like? How did people treat you as far as the eye stuff goes towards the end of middle grade? You know, because we talked about it before how you they kind of made you out to be like the superstar of the visual impaired, but they still treated yeah. you like you were just the superstar of the visual impaired and not yes, yes of the class. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, by the end of seventh and eighth grade, um, you know, it was clear that, like, I was one of the students in the class um, who were getting the better grades, like one of them, right? Because there were a yeah. few kids in our class who were, you know, um, yeah. pretty driven. Um, so then, in a way, it kind of overcorrected in that I was just, like, one of the other kids, except, like I said, like, I didn't they just assumed that I didn't need any help. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But again, I, I was able to figure out what I needed. But there were actually some, I felt like, and I don't know maybe if I'm reading too much into it, but I definitely remember feeling like some of the teachers who were teaching the visually impaired class like did not like me. Maybe. Like, I, and, and I definitely feel like also like, I remember in computer class, like not getting help with certain things when I needed it. You it know, some it might people have, yeah. it might have been just like the fact first. that you were giving us hope because <laughs> you were actually, I, actually think, yeah. I, I think the impression might be that I think that I'm better than them Maybe. right because I didn't really talk to you know similar to you yeah. I think like we didn't really talk to the kids in the other classes anymore no like we had friends in our class right um I just yeah I made, yeah, I made I didn't more really friends associate in, myself I made more friends in fifth sixth and seventh and eighth grade than I did before no, yeah, I found that it was very difficult to relate to them. Um, and just the babying, I think. Right, yeah. I didn't like to be babied. Um, and I, I think that there's, and as I grow older and, you know, as a professional, I understand now, like looking back, that there might have been some kids in those classes with more cognitive delays and understanding mm. the babying a little bit more. But I right. definitely feel like there were some kids in that class who did not need to have their hand held for everything. No. Um, you know, I certainly didn't like it. 
And so I, I think a lot of, not a lot, but some of them might have been offended at times when they would offer me certain help and I said I didn't need it. Right. And, yeah. you know, maybe I could have said it differently. But again, I was a child. Um, I, I think really what it was, was that the help they were offering really didn't address my need. Right. Right. Like, for example, like the CCTV, like it really didn't help me because it made it more difficult. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, using it, right. Like it magnifies it for you, but then your, your range of vision is so small because the screen is only, you know, a certain size. Well, that gives so you then you always have to and... like move the tray back and forth. Like that made reading actually much harder and slower. Slower. Absolutely. And it also absolutely. gives you headaches and it blurs mm-hmm. your vision after so much time. Yeah. Because, because you're staring light. at a bright screen. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, what really would help me though, you know, was like larger print for instance. Right. Um, or just more time to read because I could read most of the stuff that they gave me. I just couldn't read it quickly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah I was very inspired. But no, that. no, there was never a conversation. Like no one ever asked me like, what do you need? It was just, you know, they had this like protocol almost that they followed. Right. Like everyone mm. gets a CCTV. Everyone gets these flare pens, which didn't work for me because I, I just don't, I write a certain way where if I use the, um, the pens, everything would just become like a black blob. Right, because it's so thick. Right, right. What comes yeah, well, out of that pen, and I don't write very big. Too. Like unless you're writing like seventy-two font. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It all just kind of mushes together. We always um, knew how who, how blind people were based on the font. Yeah. <laughs> I think at that point back then I was thirty-two, which was like okay. But yeah, yeah. if you were like fifty-six or whatever it is, seventy-two, you were up in there. We were like, wow, you yeah, you can't see. Yeah. Which but it's kind of shitty. It's but... just a different thing too, because it's like, why do you have to do things this way, right? Like, you got a laptop, and I think the laptop would have helped me a lot too, because yeah. when I went to college, I mean, laptop was just like life changing. I mean, I felt like I wasn't, I didn't need anything extra. Like, I had my laptop, I downloaded my powerpoints, you know, off of Blackboard, and that was all that I needed. Like, there was none of that, like, just nonsense stuff that made you feel like there were so many barriers. For instance to access instruction in middle school, you have to copy the notes off the board. Like, right. why did that have to be a thing? Why couldn't we just get a copy of the notes? Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, instead, yeah. it had to be this whole show about like, oh, you can't, you know, see the board, you should move closer. And like, everybody had to see you move your desk up or, um, you know, <clears throat> someone had to read to you. And like, it just became, like I said, almost like a production. But if the goal was just for you to have the information because they couldn't afford to photocopy the notes, then Mm -hmm. why couldn't they just give me a copy of their notes so I can copy it at my desk? Right. Or, you know, type it up. Um, So there was a lot of, like, conventional ways of learning that just didn't make sense. And they didn't have to do anything that would really cost them anything, but they refused to change because that's just the model of school that they were used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so high school. Those were the most annoying things, I would say. Um, yeah. When it came to learning, no, and then yeah. what it meant to even to do a good job. I remember having these notebook checks um, in one of the science classes, and I copied right from my friend's notebook, and it was the exact same notes. There was nothing different. Obviously, it was my handwriting versus his, and she gave hmm. me like a B because she said I missed some stuff. <laughs> and I'm oh, looking okay. at his notes and he got an A it was exact same notes and I just couldn't understand what was missing but the next time I also remember taking his notebook and I photocopied it because I had a scanner at home 
Mm-hmm. I scanned his notes and I just printed it out and then I stapled it to my notebook. I'm like, it's literally identical this time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's it's the same handwriting. Like, I don't know what else you can say is missing. Or she was unhappy about uh, that. You know, like, that's what I mean. Like, how is that a way that you grade, um, you know, competence? How is that uh, a measure yeah. of how much knowledge I gained? Like, you're just having me copy notes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being one of those situations. And I remember some teachers just being really angry with me. Um, One teacher in particular who like called me a sore loser because I didn't want to do like one of the science fair projects. I remember feeling pretty bad. I mean, you know, you know, when an adult is telling you that you're something. I know who you mean. Yeah. And like, that there's something you can't do and you already have these anxieties yourself right like we already all know like Mm -hmm. we're already doubting ourselves because people have told us that the real world is much harder I remember this one adult in the building who always say you're gonna have a rude awakening when you go to high school (laughs) because Mm -hmm. our class talked too much um but you already had these like anxiety in you and then to have someone I guess kind of verbalize it makes it more real um and so I always had this um, fear of failing uh, just because I don't want the worst case scenario to be true. And I feel like that's what this teacher was mm-hmm. kind of saying, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, because you don't listen to me, like this and this and that is going to happen to you. It's like, you know, I don't think that she's right. <laughs> but now right. that she said it, I'm going to be thinking about it. Well, that's what we talked about before on phone call we had is that we were one step away from being the opposite yeah. of what we were afraid to yes. be and yeah if we didn't have anybody pushing for us or we yeah. didn't have the right mindset we were going to end up right where everyone else was yeah um you know I think you know definitely looking back and like after going through so many years of schooling I mean I think you know teachers that we met like Miss Robbins is definitely one of a kind um right yeah like I guess I feel like she kind of left but you said she was still an itinerant and I rarely saw her after fourth grade though yeah, I mean, she was around, but she had, like, cronies, and she would, like, send them to, like, that's how we got that one crazy, I don't know if she indirectly gave me her, but she, she made sure there was always someone checking on me in Medina. Yeah, see, that's and the other I, thing, like, I feel like no one checked on me, and maybe they feel like I didn't need help. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, so, like, no one really checked on me. Um, I definitely had somebody in high school. The first lady was actually pretty helpful, and she, I felt like, was supportive, Um but then she retired and I got this other crazy lady who just made me like hate everybody again. <laughs> um, right. Uh, Was there many kids there at Central? No, not vision really. Problems? No, I don't think I knew anyone. Um, okay. But there was a kid I remember who was in a wheelchair and some other disabilities. Right. Um, but there are very few. There was really no support either. But again, because I had the practice in did, the yeah. in the regular classes at OEC um yeah yeah so you know getting into high school um very competitive I mean I already knew from the get-go that I was not going to be you know at the top of my class like I was at in middle school yeah. um I think I'm trying to remember I mean it was hard um again the whole you know taking notes was hard any class where just the teacher really didn't do much uh, instruction delivery. It was just like, you spend the class period just copying notes. <laughs> um, was there, 
was there a tougher and easier year? Because to me, my senior year was the easiest year. I was, oh, yeah. At that my point, senior year was the most acclimated. easy. I mean, I feel like with every year, I figured out a more efficient system for myself. So in high right, school, right. like, it was great. And I was such a large school. Uh, most of the time, I would know someone else who had the same teacher, like, the class before or something like that. Like, right. um, I definitely think being in an environment where you have to, like, rely on your friends, like, made me more social, <laughs> even though at times I didn't want to be. Um So I think actually for every class, I had to figure out a different strategy. Like I remember for this one math class, the teacher basically didn't teach. He would just have like 50 math problems on the board. You would have to copy them and just work through them in class. And then you would have homework that was similar. You know, you would do a bunch of math problems the next day. um, The the idea was that if you finish your pre-class work, which really took up like 80% of the class time, then he would start going over Mm -hmm. the math problems and see, you know, how you solved it like as a class. But he never got through them all. And so um, all you did in that class was, again, copy the problems off the board and do it yourself. I had him fifth period, and I remember um, there was another girl who had him third period or something like that. And I saw her during fourth period, so I would take her notebook and copy it, her all her math problems, you know, before <laughs> yeah. going to fifth period. Like, that's how I was. <laughs> like, and I remember also going yeah. to class early, like trying to be early so that I could copy from her notebook before having to actually do my fourth period work. So it was like things like that, like I had to figure out. Um, I think talking to the teachers, it was just a waste of my time, you know, because you would tell them that you needed something and they'll say, okay. And, you know, before the class period is even over, they're already forgotten. So you would have to kind of play this game every week or every day with them. And I just did not have the energy for that. And also, you know, as a teenager, I didn't want um, there to be this whole, again, display (laughs) of what I can't and can't do in front of all my peers. And it was just much easier to just, you know, turn to a peer and say, oh, hey, like, you know, I need help with this. And like, they didn't know, like, everyone's really nice. Did your teachers know? No, I don't think so. I mean, some of them did. Some of them um, were like, okay, yeah, sure. We'll have this other girl read to you, even though it's like not my classmate's job. Like, that's what I always feel like I want to tell them, like, you're not doing your job. Right. Some of them knew, some of them didn't. I did kind of did it more discreetly. Um, so you caught a lot of breaks then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just, I just had to really problem solve. Yeah. In one class, this girl read like uh, the home, I guess it was homework. Yeah, he would ask four questions. They were all written on, it's not even the board. It was on one of those projectors. You know how they would write on the um, transparent um, films and they would put it under the light? Yeah, yeah, the project- light, yeah, yeah, the projector. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh, super hard to read. But um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. again, he could have just given me a copy of it, right? But he didn't. So he would just have the girl next to me, like read it to me. And so like every day she would read and you know, like the whole class would hear it. <laughs> but like that, he right. would rather it happen that way than just give me a copy of the homework. That's fine. Right. Um, but there were definitely moments where I felt like, you know, this is so embarrassing. But yeah. also at the same time, like, okay, if I'm already going to live through this embarrassment, then I better like, get an A in this class. <laughs> you know, it has to right. be, like, worth it. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. Um, but no, I think the teachers were actually really lax um, at Central than they were um, in middle school, you know, where we always had to be quiet or anything. Like, I don't think, for the most part, there weren't any, like, behavior management issues I think I was definitely, I kind of flew under the radar at Central. I mean, there were certainly like groups of kids who were so competitive and cutthroat that I didn't even want to 
kind of be part of that crowd. I didn't want them to feel like I was a threat to their ranking, you know, because essentially you were ranked. Right. No, I, I got, yeah. I think I mentioned on a, one of the episodes where I said, like, I think going into my senior year, they announced all the grades and I was like second in the school and they were like, him? Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I just, because I didn't announce it. Like, right. I, I never I talked about to get it. out of here. Yeah. I never talked yeah, about I did my it very grades. Discreet. Also, because since I needed help, I didn't want anyone to think that, oh, if they help me with this, then I'm going to beat them in their rankings. Um, so, right. right, yeah. Um, yeah, junior year was really when you... I feel like everyone... Okay, so freshman, sophomore year, everyone wants to be friends, right? Because everyone going to high school wants to make friends. Everyone's really nice. And then in junior year, when, you know, the the time of announcing the ranking came closer, you could really see um, some of the people get cutthroat. And, like, friends were turning right. on each other. I remember my one friend, um, she'd ask one of her friends to give her a copy of, a, of an assignment. Like, it was a major uh-huh. assignment. Um and her friend lied to her and said, oh, I don't have it. But then, like, I would say a matter of, like, minutes later, she saw that same friend give a copy of the assignment to someone else. So it was almost like the system where, like, you, some people yeah. decided who was worth helping and who wasn't, uh-huh. right? Because you wanted to help people who were more likely to help you back. Um, or you didn't uh-huh. help people who you saw as a threat. Um, no, it was definitely got a taste of the the real world <laughs> at that time um i think a lot oh, of people yeah, were definitely yeah. shocked about my ranking um they were even more shocked about you know what colleges i got into um but that's okay you know so, so before before yeah. you finish your high school how did your how were your parents when you went into central you know i think still very neutral for the most part my mom didn't know what grade i was in like she just oh, okay. yeah she was very uninvolved um like I said she didn't really go to another report card conference after fourth grade I remember you know uh, sixth seventh eighth grade people always wondering why she never she didn't even show up for anything like IEP meetings <laughs> do you have a good relationship with it no, we had a pretty good relationship I'd say most things considered we were not close though I didn't talk to her about school okay. you know about my friends or anything like that but we like did things together as a family um yeah so she also knew I mean she made it very clear from a young age like there were a lot of things that she couldn't help us with right because she didn't understand the American education system she didn't know English and so there if there are things that we want then we need to work hard for it ourselves um and so I guess I learned to be resourceful (laughs) and ask questions when I needed to um are you are you close with your sister I think now we're closer growing up we were not we were pretty um far apart in age she's four and a half years older so we're not close growing up either yeah so I didn't really have a close relationship with that many people um you know certain friends from school uh yeah you know certain teachers when you actually finally got (laughs) when you actually finally got to the high school part like when you actually made it there was it like a surreal feeling that you actually accomplished what you thought about doing in 10th grade yeah it was 10? the same feeling that I got when I switched to the fifth grade class where I was like okay this okay, is like a yeah. new challenge like and there was also also a lot of things that happened in eighth grade where people were also saying that I shouldn't go there from middle school the teachers yeah. who were saying I shouldn't go there because you know basically you're you're a you're a big fish in a small pond but it might not be sure. the case right when you go to a school like central and that they see a lot right. of kids who you know, at the top of their class in middle school and they go there and they fail. So again, 
while I didn't think that, you know, they had the crystal ball, it was still an idea that they put in my head. Um, and also thinking, okay, I'm definitely not going to fail because I'm going to, they're going to be right. And you know, the people who are saying these things to you are like, not your favorite teachers. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You were, I think you, you definitely by some of the non, the non-VI teachers, you were pretty liked. Like I know Miss Johns liked you. Yeah, I mean Miss Johns was great. She actually Jerosh liked I, I meant to find uh, one of my yearbooks. I think she wrote something like, you know, to my like future PhD candidate or something like that. I need to find it. Wow. In my eighth grade yearbook. Go. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, Mr. Jerosh and I were close. Um right. but he was definitely one of the teachers who checked up on me regularly when I was in high school. And I think that helped a lot. No, oh, yeah. 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 And um, you know, he was cool. definitely one of the people who would say, like, you know, work hard to get yourself into one of the more elite colleges. Um, but I also thought he was a little bit crazy in thinking that. Because I, I know as much as I think that you know, I'm going to do fine in high school, I didn't never thought that I would be going to an elite college. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it what was, was nice. your What was your next goal from so when you got to high school? Oh, my gosh. No, I didn't really have one. I was just like, I just need to do well oh. here and figure <laughs> it out. Like, I just wanted to keep up and not fail. Um, uh, so well, I really took it like day by day I think or year by year when I actually came to applying to colleges I didn't know what I want to do you know again it was going out into the real world and feeling like scared um and I think but I think anybody has that feeling not just you know yeah yeah. so um I remember again that woman who was supposed to help me was trying to talk me into going to community college she's like you should just go to CCP like then you don't have to stress as much and I remember the one right. time where she saw me get really upset in high school because she, again, like, tried to push the um, CCTV on me. And she wanted to right. put it in the MG room where the people, the teachers working in that room, explicitly told her, we don't have space for that here. So I said, it's yeah, fine. Like, I too. don't need it. Yeah. But they were getting really upset that she wanted to put it there. And in some ways, like, she's right. You know, if, if I really needed it... it they cannot say that I can't put it there, right? Because they have to provide accommodation. So it was begin this whole thing with the teachers in the building where they're really upset that they were putting it there. I told her I would never use it. She wouldn't listen to me. So I got really upset. You know, like it, um, it made me cry, like, you know, in front of her, in front of other people. And so she just felt, oh, you must be so stressed. Like, you know, high school is too hard, you know, just go to CCP. Um, And, you know, I thought, yeah, maybe I should just, you know, go to ccp i don't know (laughs) like why do i want to like why do i have to make life this difficult and i was totally ready for that you know because i knew i visited temple a few times you know we visited temple when we were in middle school Mm -hmm. um visited temple you know for various things you know temple was such a big school that you always had like tours there i remember not liking it feeling like it was too big too big right? yeah too big yep um and so, I don't know. I just felt like college was scary. Um, I applied to, you know, schools like Temple. I basically applied to all the schools that were like rolling. What do they call rolling emissions? Rolling? Yeah, rolling emissions, right? So, oh, yeah. they don't have a deadline, per se, for application. Um, and so, I applied to Temple. I applied to Drexel. I got into those two schools. So, Temple was actually the first to admit me, and they offered a pretty good scholarship. I mean, for the first year, at least, I didn't have to pay anything. Um, so that was good but then I was considering some other ones so this was around like November Um, by like the time of December one of my friends asked me like where are you going to school or where are you applying I'm like I don't know maybe CCP 
<laughs> he just looked at me like, what? Uh, yeah. He's like, you should apply to Penn. And, and, and a part of me probably felt like, you know, he was applying to Penn and maybe he just wanted to have a, another friend there. I don't know. But he just thought like, I should apply to Penn. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm not going to get in. And so when um, he told me to do that, I said, okay, if you get in, because he applied early decision, which meant that he would find out December 15th. I said, if you get in yeah. early decision, I will apply, right? Because the regular admissions, the deadline isn't des- until December, no, January 1st, I think. Right. Um, so December 15th comes around and he had applied to Wharton, which is like, the number one business school in the country. Right, so I'm like, okay, you know, if you get in, I'll do what you ask. I'll apply to Penn. Um, even though thinking that I wouldn't get in. Um, so that date came around. He got in. I was really happy for him. And he's like, okay, you need to apply to Penn now. So I'm like, it's two weeks. Okay. And you, you know how the school schedule goes. I mean, you have basically only one more week until winter break. So I had one week to get my recommendations letter ready. Because when you apply to a more selective college, the application process is so much longer. Like you can't just write an essay and submit the application. You need um, a lot more supplemental material, like three letters of recommendation and like two other essays and stuff like that. And so I remember just scrambling to get those letters, um, writing my essay, which again, I didn't really have like professional help as some other kids did, but they would have, you know, other adults read it and get feedback or even have, someone who specializes in college admissions read their essay to make sure it's good enough. Um, I pretty much just had my friend. Um, I think he read like one or two drafts and like made some edits. And that was pretty much it. I applied. Um, I think I remember, you know, because they didn't even tell you if you would get in until the end of March, I think. But I think as the date got closer, I remember feeling like I really wanted to get in. Um And so when I got in, I was definitely really happy, but also thinking Mm -hmm. that I definitely wouldn't even considered it. I never would have applied um, if that wasn't our deal. Um, Yeah, and I think at that point, I also kind of realized that I don't think the adults are always right, (laughs) especially the ones who are actually like, it's their job to help you figure it out, right? They should know, yeah. Especially the woman who was supposed to help me with the services in high school, you know, for the SATs and how to get into college. And she just kept trying to talk me down. And I feel like, mm-hmm. okay, like she's done this job probably for many years. Like she should know. Um, right. But I, yeah, I think I come to realize that like, I just should not listen to them. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. especially in that regard. And I think if they can be wrong about me, they can also be wrong about many other people. I think Penn was actually the easiest uh, part of my educational career in terms of from the perspective of having a vision impairment, a visual right. impairment, um, because they just had a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just college life in general. I mean, everything also moved um, to digital, right? Even signing up for classes you could do online. My sister mm-hmm. was telling me when she went to college, they actually had to go to like a physical location and like line up. <laughs> to the classes that you wanted to sign up for. Wow, I mean, that okay. would have been a nightmare for me, right? I wouldn't know where to go stand in line. Right. Yeah. yeah so, um, and even like buying books, for instance, like you would have to go to the bookstore and find the books yourself, you know, using the library. I think we were definitely born in a good time where by the time I went to college, everything was online. Like I right, never right. really had to borrow a book from a library. 
I could find everything I needed on the internet through the college um, database. So well, that's, that's just time shifting because we didn't I know, have that. I know. Yeah. yeah. So um, college was easy. And also they had their, um, I guess, disability service, student services, whatever you called it. Um, that also was a school with a lot of money. So if I had said like I needed a note taker, they'd get me a note taker. Although the notes cool. weren't like always great, but like it was just so seamless. You know, I would just go there and say, this is what I need. And I always got it. And it wasn't because you had a vision problem. Or no, no. I mean, like, you would have to sign up and you would have to get approved, right? So I submitted documentation saying that, like, I needed services because I had a disability. But then there, right. after you got approved, there were no other questions asked. Right. Okay. Like, you know, basically I listed everything that I would potentially want. So I would say, like, you know, I needed um, to type my responses on exams. I needed extra time. I needed, like, a large print, blah, blah, blah. Um, and every semester you would have to kind of renew that checklist and just tell them what you need. And that was it. Like there wasn't any like interrogation process or like they made you feel bad. Right. Yeah. So that's once probably you got the a... closest it you felt to actually mm-hmm. feeling normal or whatever. Yeah. You yeah. Because it was just like, yeah, this is just something I need. But other than that, everything else is the same. You know, the curriculum is the same. The expectations right. are the same. It was definitely really helpful in some of the, in some of the classes to get extra time or to test separately. Yeah. Um, you know, some people definitely might see that as an advantage. Now, but... like in, in hindsight, <laughs> do you feel like very grateful for your, like all of your education? Because you, you did hit a lot of breaks that, I mean, it doesn't mean you didn't go through anything, but you hit a lot of breaks that a lot of people with the same problems didn't get. Um, yeah, I mean, it felt too, like but... I, I was lucky. I met um, a lot of people who helped me. Right. You know, from yeah, teachers yeah. to having like good friends. Right. Um, well, because you went from not having much support at all to yeah. actually having a decent support cast around you. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you also have to build up that support, I think. Of course. Under- yeah. yeah, understanding that, um, you know, there are things that you need that you need to rely on other people for. But actually, you know, I'm someone who really liked to do everything independently. So as I get older now, like, you know, during school, I needed a lot more help with certain things. Not necessarily right. with content, but just with accessing the content. Right. Um, but now, you know, I feel like I'm pretty independent. Um, right. Have you fig- appreciated, like, the journey? Like, you know, when it comes to having an eye problem, like, it, it definitely, you know, we've talked about this before, about how many hurdles get thrown in front of you. But yeah, even though that is very disheartening and frustrating at the time, when you finally, you know, I mean, I know you're not officially through it, but right. you got through a lot of other hurdles and the fact that you're still here, you're still standing, you're actually doing well for yourself. And it's like, you got to try to appreciate the journey, even if it's hard to do. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's given me a lot of perspective. I also think that it also helped me like get to understand who's worth my time and who isn't, right? Because I think yeah. anyone who's willing to be understanding to your needs that's why I wasn't it's just gonna to be like a good friend right <laughs> it actually helped me get a lot of good friends I feel like because oh, you know because otherwise I feel like if I didn't if I didn't have a disability I would certainly have an easier time like fitting in right yeah. but then you might surround yourself with people who are just there for the fun right and they're you not really people... your real friends did you have any people who like never really talked to you, but then all of a sudden, like towards the middle of high school, they were just like, oh, this girl's smart. I better like be her friend. I had a, I had <laughs> a know, couple of those. It, it kind of happened um, senior year after I got into co- uh, Penn. And I ah, remember okay. this girl who, it's not like she wanted to be my friend, but she definitely felt like I was good enough for her to talk to. Right. Um, 
and I think she actually really likes my friend, um, the the guy friend who was helping me, because um, she would always talk to him, and uh, we would be in this after school club together, and then we were talking about what college we were going to, and she had really wanted to go to Penn, and she got rejected. And so when she found out that I got in, she's like, oh, wow, you got into Penn. Like, she definitely saw me differently, I feel like, after that. Like, she wanted to hang out more. She wanted to be around more. And just like, nah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 So what Um, did you – go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so what now, now being after school, what what did you actually take up as far as professionally? You know, it's it's interesting that you asked, like, how do I feel now that I'm kind of, like, through it, but not completely? Because I, right. after college, I definitely felt like, okay, I feel like I've kind of overcome, like, all of it, right? The education piece is over. And um, I became really interested in um, psychology in college. That was my major. Um, and I had wanted to go into school psychology specifically because I thought it was so cool that um, they were taking research at least in cognitive science they were taking like all types of like cool like neuroscience and cognitive science research and trying to think about how to apply it to education and just from an intellectual standpoint I was really curious and so school psychology seems like a really neat field to go into because you kind of get to dab into like education and also psychology and so Mm -hmm. I applied to grad school thinking that it would be so great especially also to be around people who are in the profession because they want to help kids who have learning needs and at that point, I didn't think about, like, you know, kids with disabilities or kids with, like, visual impairment. I just thought, you know, kids with, like, dyslexia, like, learning right. difficulties. Right, um, right. Yeah, at that point, I thought, okay, like, it's over. You know, I get to, like, take what I learn and, um, you know, find a job in the field that I like. So I went to grad school, and it was actually like, the opposite of what I thought I would ex- uh, experience. There were people who really made me feel the same way that I kind of felt in middle school actually um asking for accommodations was difficult um there was actually a ta who um again like that teacher we had uh, Mm -hmm. for science who would like grade me down on things even though i looked the same as Mm -hmm. my peers um you know didn't provide accommodations like there were a lot of rumors spread about me about what i could do and what i couldn't do um it was a very toxic environment for me and I remember also thinking that I wanted to drop out of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so you made it that far. Yeah, you make it that far and you think like you're, you're over the, the mountain, but you're not. How much, <laughs> and yeah, then you're also much, in a profession yeah. where the people are supposed to be the most understanding, but they're not. Uh-huh. You um, make it that far. So many people put much time and effort and there's money involved and yeah. all this thing. You get to that part and now you're like, you know, you get yes. to a part where you think in life, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm starting to get somewhere and you're like, nah, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. So thinking that, oh, maybe I want to um, drop out. And I was talking to a professor um, about what to do. She was just someone that I trusted. I had her for um, a class called uh, culture, I think it's just cultural dynamics, something okay. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, she just seemed like someone who would be understanding. So I was talking to her about it and getting really upset. Because it really felt like, because I had talked to other professors about this issue before. While they seemed receptive, like nothing changed. Right. Um, so then I talked to this other woman and she's like, no, like you have to like try to talk to them again. And she even said, you know, she would sit in on the meeting with me if I needed to. So, I mean, at that point, I just, I was just so upset with everything that mm. I basically told them like, 
you know, there would either be something like that was done about this or, you know, I'm probably going to leave the program. Um, I don't know what words I used exactly, <laughs> um, okay. but they did. I think they finally got it. And I think they finally got that they were also kind of being hypocrites, right? Because their whole profession right. is to help people, children with disabilities. Right. But you have someone in your, like a student, your own student, and you're just ignoring it and trying to well, tell them. Could you spoke up too? Because I know you're a person that doesn't like, yeah. you know, like you said, don't no, even like I, attention. It's, it's so funny because when I talk to my friends in Sweden, and any mention of me like being shy, they're like, what? You were never shy, <laughs> you know? And so I feel like all these years, uh -huh. I'm kind of just like, becoming myself again I, I think coming to the U.S. like turned me into this different person because I had to adapt to the environment right. and now that I'm older like I'm getting that confidence that I used to have right um yeah but yeah so you know there was that hurdle but then after that I mean working working's been great um I never really have to I think on internship I had to tell my supervisor about it because there's more like when you're being supervised you're actually like being watched and they expect things to be done in certain ways and I had to like just inform her why I might be doing something differently mm -hmm. um, but then when I actually got my first uh, full-time job as a role of a school psychologist your work is really independent like you answer to maybe like a school principal but they don't have expertise in what you're doing mm -hmm. and so I was really able to just do what I needed for myself. Um, obviously, like not doing anything wrong when it comes to like the kids, but no one really asked questions. Um, you know, in the age of technology, everyone has a laptop that they use. So, you know, it's not like I have to handwrite anything or read anyone's handwriting. Everything is through email. You know, as you know, I mean, you can always like enlarge anything. <laughs> have you seen any uh, little Sophias? Meaning anybody that you oh, like, oh, that could have been me. Or that was me. No, but in grad school, one of my last years there, we had a clinic. Oh. So it basically meant that um, it was like a, an, exp an experiential course where you had right. to ex assess a child. So you had to give them all these tests and figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are. And the one case I got um, was a child with my condition. Okay. And that was kind of impactful, actually, um, because I remember meeting... And no one actually knew this about the kid. They just, I think they knew that he maybe had a vision problem, but the main referral question was his reading difficulties, probably. Yeah. Um, and so he comes into clinic. I remember seeing his parents and he also wore like a cap, kind of like you actually. He was like a very quiet <laughs> kid. Okay. Um, I remember meeting his parents for the intake and like the mom just looking really happy because right. uh, her child was in seventh grade. I remember her saying like, I'm just so glad to see like someone with who has my son's condition like being a professional role because right. she never knew um what to expect right or where he could take his life right. um yeah. and both parents were actually really happy with you know my assessment my recommendations I remember one time running into the father at a, a septa station and he said you know your recommendations were helpful he's doing much better in school now and then one of the issues with the child school was also that they had really low expectations and I had to tell the parents that in a really tactful way. Um, but I think they mm -hmm. understood and really pushed the school to do a little bit more. Right. Um, so that was good in that I felt like I really took my experience and I was able to help somebody. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, so like of all the things you, cause we talked about this recently too, about how, 
in the visually were uh, visually impaired or disabled world, you were basically one considered that you made. But the actual profession that you're doing, you you made it in any circle. But like, do you have like do you still have like the doubt in the back of your mind of all the shit they've kind of mushed into your head over the years, or do you are you kind of over most of it? Because I still I, have it. Yeah, no, definitely a little bit. But now I'm just, I'm I'm. I think about it a lot more these days um, just because I see it in my work. So as a professional, like I said, I worked in a school. Um, you know, once you kind of get over that hump of grad school, it's like, okay, now you're, you know, um, you're successful. You have a job. You're working in New York City, right? Not many people can can do that. Um, and I remember working in this school and thinking I could finally be in a role where I have some type of power, right, of influence. Mm-hmm. Well, we um, all fantasize. Yeah, right? (laughs) The role reversal. And being also really disappointed and seeing that there's still so much, like, injustice, um, particularly for, you know, um, kids of certain racial groups or certain ability levels. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the school that I worked for, they were doing all types of unethical things. Um, And it was one of the largest charter school networks in New York City. So it was very systematic in which they did it, too. And it's not a bad school in the traditional sense because it had a lot of resources. They get a lot of donations um, from, you know, businessmen. Um, you know, we would have these really fancy uh, open bar happy hours. Um, we would get any type of materials that we wanted. You know, I never had to worry about, like I said before, like it's not like they didn't have, you know, money to get you Xerox paper. Um, any books that I wanted, any tests that I wanted, they would buy. But for some reason, they still provided really poor service to kids with disabilities. Um, Like some of the things that they would do, you know, included um, almost hiding kids with disabilities, like certain kids who might have behavioral issues or just look disabled. Um, Whenever Mm. they had donors come by in the school, like they would hide them in my office. Um, you know, there was really like minimal help that they provided to them, but at the same time still held them to a really high standard. So we talked a lot about low kind of low expectations for us, right? Growing up, mm. they had high expectations for those kids, but then there was really like no help. Um, mm. So let's say if a child didn't know how to read because they were dyslexic, they will still say that you have to pass a reading fluency test. Mm-hmm. Like reading slower was not acceptable, even if the child like, read slower but still could understand the text and they would really stick by that um, I remember someone saying there was a child with a vision issue and because of the vision impairment she needed extra time on the test but the school didn't offer that they said they don't accommodate anybody even though it was still a school that was accepting taxpayer money so they still had to follow like the federal law of ADA right. you know IDEA, those laws that um, man- kind of mandate supports for kids with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they had this child take tests without accommodations. But, and because she didn't get the accommodations, she would fail the test. And they were so heavy on test scores that they, they would use the same test scores to justify holding her back a grade. And I think by the time I, I started working for the school, they've already held her back two times. And they were considering holding her back a third time. And so I remember talking to someone about them, like, you know, this is so wrong. Like, you should know this, right? You're also a school psychologist. You were trained in this. And they're like, yeah, I know. I know you feel like it's unfair, but that's just how it is. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so when you get oh. to the other side of it, you think that you can help solve the problem. But there's yeah. still something wrong with the entire system. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. 
And no yeah. matter how much, how far you get to where you want to get to, like, yeah, and there's you still think hurdles you got for the, to the teachers. Top of the yeah. mountain. Like, no, you're just, you're just over like the first, you know, hill maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, and they would do really just, I think, emotionally abusive things. They would throw these um, parties that they called effort parties. Uh, what mm-hmm. it meant was, it sounds nice, right? If you put no, in effort, actually, you it, get rewarded. But kind in, of sounds, in, in, yeah. yeah, in practice, that was not how it worked. They would take these practice tests because their whole um, marketing uh, strategy was saying that, you know, if you send your child here, they're going to pass the state test. You know, we score like 99% of our kids pass the state ELA and math tests. And so pretty much from January to June, they would make these kids. That's all that they did. I mean, there was really no like real learning that happened. It's just taking practice tests, learning how to take tests, um, making sure you annotated, making sure you knew how to like rule out like distracting answers, things like that. And so every day, every day they had to take one practice test and the kids who passed would go to these effort parties. Maybe sometimes you can make an argument that the child didn't pass, but they put in effort. But the way they judge effort is based on like how close you were to the right answers or how much you wrote out or try to reason through your answer. But if you're a child who doesn't understand it, then you don't understand it. Like there's no way to just scribble something on the page. Of course. Yeah. So they would have these parties that again were really um, hyped up. Um, they would give out prizes, they would have dance parties in the hallway, and then they would have the kids, all the kids with disabilities, who didn't do well in these tests, sit in a them, but you didn't work hard enough. So not only did they not provide help, but then they shamed them um, for not passing. And then they would even hold them, you know, during um, like snack time. They would have to have working snack breaks, working lunch breaks. They've hold them from like specials, you know, like gym and like art class, things like that. So they can work on their practice tests. Some of them have to stay after school. But like even with that, you know, I think if you don't get the right help, you're not going to do well. So a lot of these kids end up getting pushed out. Um, Yeah, so it was it was definitely very disheartening to see that. Um, I knew I wanted nothing to do with it. And I think I was also... I try to be as vocal as possible. I think most people mm. I talk to agree with me, but they also, it, for them, it was also just a job. They didn't feel comfortable enough to like speak out against the leadership. And yeah. to some extent, I don't even think the leadership had control. I think it was because that's just their network model. Someone, Wait, actually, someone decided that this was a good thing to do. I actually have a good question for you because it, it goes back to how I feel now too. So from a fellow visually impaired person who was also quiet. I've noticed the older I get and the more bullshit I endure, whether it's through work or everyday stuff, I'm a lot more vocal than I ever used to be. Yeah. And like I kind of, and even though I'm, I'm not completely on the other side of it, but I am in some ways and I see what's going on to other people. And I do work with a few visually impaired people. And I, I've told them like, it's so much easier for me to work with people who are not visually impaired because we're not, pushed into one category yeah and I find myself fighting for everyone whereas if it was just me I probably would just say something to a supervisor and just go like hey you know that's not right or whatever but I really wouldn't say much but now I've been like forced into this sort you know pseudo leadership role and it's like man where did this come from because I didn't picture this you know 15 years ago or whatever um so yeah do you find yourself a lot more vocal now oh definitely I mean it just hit a point where I'm just like 
I think working at the school specifically, I pretty much had the mentality of like, well, you can fire me. Um, not that I, I don't think I did a bad job. I think I worked really well with the teachers there um, and tried my best to not get super upset about it and talk to them in a professional way. But I, there, you know, I feel like for the first two months, I was even afraid to say anything. Right. Because I didn't want to get fired. Um, I knew the culture at this organization. But it got to the point where I think I was being more vocal and I actually found that a lot more people agreed with me. And I think speaking yeah. up helped. I think even naming some of the things helped. Like I would say, like it, if something I saw that I didn't agree with, I would actually explicitly say, like, you know, this isn't right you know, from an ethical standpoint, but also from a legal standpoint. And like people then ask me like, oh, is like this and that illegal? I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, like just saying right. it very definitively. Like, no, there's no maybe, there's no, you know, gray area. Like this is wrong. Well, they um, have that slogan, whatever it is. It's like by not speaking up, basically, you're causing more damage. Right, right. Like by being a bystander, right? Yeah, um, just I actually think that um, allowed me to work better with certain teachers. So I think they also felt scared. Right. You know, they felt like they couldn't do things differently. And there were some kids where we had to, and this sounds really sad, but there were some kids who we wanted to help and we had to do it under the radar because they didn't want right. us to do anything different for kids. Like if a kid broke a pencil, they would suspend the right. kid because it was destruction right. of school property. If they like got upset because an adult was really mean to them, they would get suspended. And so like things like that. Yeah. yeah. That was going to be one of my final, like, one of my final questions. Like, what, like, the time, because, you, you know, the politically correctness has gotten way worse since we were in school. And, like, how has that changed as far as dealing with students? Because you, in some ways, you might think it'd be a little better because teachers might have to be a little nicer to the students. But, you know, I'm sure there's some sort of, you know, rigmarole or some way around it. Yes, um, and I think you're right. They do find ways around it. I think at charter schools, it's a little bit different, too, because... um they, although they take public money, they're allowed to run as private uh, companies. So they don't have to follow a lot of the same rules, but um, mm. they have a way of getting around it. Um, you know, they don't use certain words because they know they're not allowed to or that it's it's not, you know, acceptable. It's not politically correct. Right. But people will always find a way, <laughs> I think, to be oh, demeaning. Yeah. Um, they would call a lot of the kids beagles, I remember. I was really horrified by that. I'm like, what is that? You know, like it sounds like an insect, right? Like a beagle. Oh, I think um, of a dog. Or be- oh, yeah, a dog or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you saying beagle or beetle? Beagle. With a G, right? Beagle, yeah. Right. Yeah, it, just, okay. it just didn't sound like anything that you would call a human, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, no, it just stands for below grade level. Yeah. Yeah. So they would so call you, those kids beagles, or they you would try to cutesy it up. Yeah, yeah. Or they would call them um, behaviors. It wasn't like yeah. a child with behavior needs. It was they were. I have three behaviors in my class, which meant I had right. three kids who yeah. you know had behavior needs. Um, right. Yeah, there were a lot of like dehumanizing um, tactics that they use, um, or they had a color system. That was also uh, very bothersome. Um, although in most schools, it's used in a positive way. Like you might say, oh, you know, we're all on green today because everyone did their job. Um, they would have each kid um, assigned to a color. And it was publicly displayed. So imagine like a whole chart. Everyone's names is on the chart. 
everyone has a color next to their name. And if they did something wrong, they had to walk up and change their color. Um, right. So there were kids who were always on red because red meant that you you really didn't do well. They had red, yellow, and green. Green meant you had a good day. Like yellow was light. like so-so and red was really bad. Um, I think yeah. at one of the schools, black was a color of being the worst behavior. Okay. Um, at a school that primarily had black and brown kids uh, and okay. so, i was gonna say i figured yeah, there's some racial aspect yeah to it. and and you know it yeah. then it went from green yellow red to black you know right. and that to them wasn't a problem you know so yeah. like you, you were saying they find a lot of ways around it um so this is gonna be my last question and you can add, you can add whatever you want and then like i said this is probably gonna be close to two hours <laughs> but this is all right um, my last question was, oh, so for all the things you've actually accomplished from now, do you, like, what, do you have any more that you really want to achieve or are you kind of content with where you are right now? Um, I think yeah, just in terms of personal accomplishment, I think. Or stuff with disabilities or any, anything that you want oh, to try to. I mean, I feel like with disability is kind of just started because I right. spent a lot of time trying to survive myself. Right. I yeah, think I'm at exactly. a point where like, I'm comfortable with where I am to now do more work to improve um, the experience for a lot more people. Um, Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to do more advocacy work, Um, not just, you know, for people with uh, vision impairment um, or like other physical disabilities, but just in general, I think the education system could use um, a lot more more. tooling. Yeah, Yeah, some more reform, Um, you know, I always felt like I was trying to find the source of the problem, right? So I worked in the school and then I decided, um, you know, maybe it'll be different if I worked for a network, which meant that I would be supporting different schools in the region. And I did have like a network role also. Then figuring, oh, actually, like, no, that's not enough because you, know, you have to get to maybe the people who are um, overseeing the school. So then I worked for um, the Department of Education in New York City, where they work with these charter schools. Um, mm-hmm. And I also feel like, no, like that doesn't feel quite right either, because there are other um, clinicians who I feel like just were not well trained enough to even uh, consult with these schools, right, or to provide the right guidance. Um, so I keep trying to almost like step further and further back <laughs> to see what is the big picture uh, change that we need to make here. And so I'm definitely hoping, you know, in my new role, I can influence um how like students you know at the graduate level are trained you know so these are like future like practitioners future educators how they're Mm -hmm. trained when they are going through these graduate programs so that you know they can kind of almost go go out there with the right skills um and won't have to make these same mistakes that maybe some of the teachers that we work with did you know and we both talked about you know how great some of the teachers were that we um, encountered in our lives and I'm not saying that any of the people that I've ever met are like bad people but I think that maybe they didn't have the skills that they needed or really understood the impact of what they were saying or doing Um, and I definitely want to be able to kind of help uh, other people become more self-aware of how their actions might um, change someone's life, you know, for better or worse. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I am in my career. I think even my personal journey. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah no i've always been like super happy for you like i you know i'm i'm you know i probably haven't said it to you but i'm very proud of you i'm happy what you've done and honestly i think if most people who listen to this i don't even think like if i didn't say you had a vision problem they probably wouldn't even know because you obviously i mean it's sad that i have to say like oh someone intelligent you know it's like oh they might not be visually impaired but you know a lot of us are really beaten down and it's like there's times where i just don't really sound that smart i just i just sit to myself and i'm just like yeah fuck life but you know you know you've overcome a lot and you know just because you made it didn't mean you didn't go any through go through anything um i and the one funny part about this interview, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the next person to do one. because You are you... going to have to do a lot of editing work because this is long. But also, um, I just wanted to add to your point because it, in a lot of ways, I can navigate the environment and like not have to explain, right? right. Yeah. Um, and like people kind of forget. But it's yeah. funny because I'm, when I'm around other people with disabilities... They're always saying, like, you have to talk about it. Like, a way of advocating for yourself is just talk about your disability. And I, I feel more disabled when I'm around other people with disabilities because for them, that is their entire identity. You know? Um, whereas for me, it's, it's one aspect of my life and it's definitely a really big weakness that impacts a lot of aspects of my life. But I don't just see myself, you know, as that. Um, you know, that's not all that I have to talk about me, right? Like you asked me a lot of questions about what it's like to move to a different country. Um, all these different experiences that I also have, but I think when people um, specifically who are really like sensitized to the issue of disabilities, they just want to talk about your disability, right? right? As if like, you don't have your own interests. <laughs> you right, don't right. have anything else um, that makes you an individual, like just a person. Like, right. um, I think also when people work with kids with disabilities they forget that they're also human mm -hmm. like when you talk to a teenager in a certain way they also get that you have a bad attitude and they don't like you you know right. even though you're trying to help them right. um yeah so and, and I, I also remember times when i would tell my friends like oh i can't do xyz you know because of this like you know especially growing up you get to a certain age where everyone's getting their driver's license Mm -hmm. um and I remember sometimes asking me when are you going to get your driver's license and I'll just say well I'm not going to get it I, you know my vision's not good mm -hmm. and they're like really and then you know we have that conversation and then like they forget <laughs> I actually have friends who um like years later just like speak so confused sometimes when I talk about certain things um I think they know now that like I just don't drive right but they they kind of forget um, some of the stuff that I went through and some of these people are the same people who you know were there in high school and saw that I struggled through certain things but like they don't remember and it's, to a lot of people it's really not that big of a deal but I think some people make it out to be um, like their full story um, mm -hmm. and I think yeah. some of the most them. like yeah it defines them I remember some of the most embarrassing things that happened in high school thinking that everyone must be thinking about it right Right. And That's even the following enough. year, like people would forget, like the same people who were in that class with me where that one girl would read me the problems out loud, like every day, uh -huh. like totally forgot that I was in that class, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so some of the things that I felt were so embarrassing were really just myself. Like I magnified them. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think I've, I've done a lot, um, but I also think... I'm not really like extraordinary you know I think we talked about this a lot like right. 
we're just we're just trying to do the best that we can um you know as if it were any other person just say like oh you know I I went to college and I got a job right (laughs) like oh that's not a big deal right yeah you got married it's like oh give a shit yeah like oh you actually live like a normal person right um but you know it's funny when I went to Penn and I said that that was the easiest from my um in terms of like disability standpoint it was also the time in my life where I realized like nothing else matters more than money to a lot of people. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when growing up, we were kind of split right into right. two groups. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you either had a disability or you didn't. Um, but then later in life, you learn it's more about like social class right. and about well, how, how much money you have. Well, that's how they divide people in general. I mean, that's the racial mm-hmm. aspect. That's everything. Mm-hmm. Like they just, mm-hmm. instead of us going like, yeah, we're just like the deaf people or, or, anybody it's like no you're 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 the eye people it's like no but yeah. we're all the same and like the, even the people who don't have an eye condition it's like yeah maybe their mom was killed when they were young or or whatever like we all have problems yeah. but they yeah. put us in a category of disabled and I've always said I hate and I'm not one of these word people but I hate the word disabled because you know like I think oh, of some, I think about like disabling alarm and that means yeah. not working <laughs> yes. and it's like well disabled that's what it means like something's broken right right yeah like it's it can't like, be repaired Right. And it's like, honestly, and we talked about this before, too, is like the fact that like we we're more messed up from the the aftermath of how people deal with us in life. And it's not it's not the eye problem or whatever your condition is. It's how life treats you and how people judge you and all that. It's it's that's like 60 percent of the bad shit that happens to us and how we feel about ourselves and life and, and all that. Right, because we've lived with this our whole lives, so we know how to kind of get around it, but it's really other people's reaction and how they feel that right. are making us, you know, feel bad about it. Um, and I think, you know, a lot, a lot of it definitely goes back to just culturally how we view disability. So whenever I talk to parents, you know, I sit in, in a ton of meetings with parents about their children and the help that they need. I never use the term disabilities unless I'm specifically talking about like the law right because the law says if you have a disability um so I always tell them it's just about strengths and weaknesses about the way your child needs so I'll say like they have needs in this area and this is how we're going to help them right because everyone has needs and I think if you really wanted to narrow down people um by specific categories at at some point you're just going to go down to the individual right you're not really looking at a group anymore you know you're talking about oh people um in you know who are ethnic minorities or people with disabilities or people who um you know are dealing with like lgbtq issues um of reading disabilities like every you're gonna you're really gonna come down to the person right so at the end of the day you can't act based on like prejudices or like stereotypes um and i think we just have to shift i think as a society and how we view people you know with disabilities um, people with unique needs, because I think in a lot of ways, you know, if you're someone who don't speak English, that's a huge barrier, right? right. You might have like nothing that's wrong with you physically, but right. it's still a barrier. So, you know, how are you even drawing the line anymore <laughs> right. around it doesn't, this area? It, doesn't help. it yeah. doesn't help that our logo is a guy in a wheelchair. You know, they changed that. Oh, did they? Yeah. Well, it's still a guy in a wheelchair, but instead of sitting there, like um, still and upright, the yeah. guy is not pushing his own wheelchair. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, you wow. know, now you're not the one waiting for someone to push you. Ah, well, that's, that's I guess. But that's <laughs> yes. what I'm saying. That's the handicap. Like I said, yes. that's, our, that's our logo. 
<laughs> that's our logo that's... yeah but there's also a lot of what i find difficult to do is advocate for kids with more of those in- invisible disabilities yeah. so kids with um dyslexia kids with adhd and, like they- there seems to be like nothing that would explain why they're not doing well and i'm like i'm telling them like no like they can't do xyz right. and the teachers don't believe me yeah so I really believe that everyone has strengths and weaknesses. It's how well we're able to compensate for our weaknesses. Yeah. Um, you know, for some people, well, you know, <laughs> who just make bad choices, but do they just make bad choices or, you know, are they lacking certain skills? You know, it's unclear. Yeah. 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 And some of yeah. them are, some of the choices that are made are not necessarily their fault. Some of them are other right. people's or life yeah. or yeah. circumstances. And then some of them are just simply, they are making bad choices yeah um yeah you're really making my job hard i gotta edit the shit out of this <laughs> i don't know how you're gonna do it i'm gonna figure yeah, maybe it out maybe take off a. I don't know i'll figure it out either way i, I really had fun doing this i'm thank you for doing it because you're, welcome. you're I my hope first person enough no you, and I you hope did that <laughs> some people and i don't know who your audience is right maybe if maybe. there are any like people who are listening to this who are educators or maybe your audience are primarily other people with disabilities that they hopefully will give them a different perspective yeah and you know the more it gets around like i said more and more people listen every day so it's it's nice and the more people listen yeah maybe like i yeah. said it all it takes is one person to reach out to one person and then boom um, um yeah you i mean not put this whole thing up though no 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna figure it out because yeah we definitely got disrupted and all that I, i'll have to figure it out but um yeah, no, but like I said, I really thank you for doing this. Um, I'll let you know how long it takes me to edit this. Um, I've given you a lot of work. It's like two hours of content. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but it was fun. Um, like I said, thank you again. And uh, like I said, I will be putting it out Wednesday. I um, look forward to hearing it. Although maybe I won't. I don't like listening to my own voice. I was going to say, well, you, wow, that doesn't sound good. You want to hear yourself. Um, maybe you just cut out all your parts. Just hear me. Yeah, you should just summarize everything I said. Okay. <laughs> In your own words. Right. That's going to be hard, but I'll, I'll figure it out. But like I said, again, thank you. All right. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Um, of course. I hope it helps. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed the shit out of it. And I don't, you know, again, like I said, I know a lot of people that don't know you in my circle. Um, and I mean, there's people that don't know me. So, you know, but the fact that I'm choosing you to be the first one is interesting because, like I said, I could have easily chosen somebody. I could just go to their house. But, to me, this one's very fascinating because, you know, and I want to start with someone who made it as high as you did. And, you know, because I think we've all made it in our own way for the ones who've made it. And like I said, you set the bar pretty high. But, you know, just because you're doing what you're doing or whatever money you're making, you're married, that doesn't mean you made it more than someone else. It just means you're doing really well for yourself and you made it past all the yeah, hurdles that have been Yeah, I think a big part present. of it is really overcoming personal challenges. You know, we right. talked a lot about, you know, the ideas that we get in our head. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I better I better end this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But thank you again. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. All right, sweetie. Bye. <laughs>